as I was preparing for today's message, going through the text, there was a question rattling around my mind and my heart that I couldn't shake off. And the question is this, what kind of community does this world need? Said slightly differently, what kind of church does this world need? But I know that for many of us, when we hear the word church, we think about a church meeting, we think about a building. And so I intentionally wanted to substitute that word community in. What kind of community or what kind of church does this world need? Now, it's so wonderful to have people coming into membership today. It's so wonderful to have friends and guests and family joining us today. And I know that when we go around from church to church, and as some of you have had to make the decision, am I going to go to church? And when I do, what kind of church would I like to be a part of? And maybe you've got some criteria that you weigh in your mind as you go from church to church. And so often that criteria has to do with the Sunday stuff. And so often it's uh, something concerning with the, the worship ministry and do I connect with the worship ministry and maybe the preaching ministry and the leadership and do I connect with the preaching ministry and the leadership or the kids ministry or as Sean said earlier, probably the most important thing you guys think about, how are you going to be caffeinated after the service? And so we go around and we have our preferences and some of us like long, deep theological messages. Some of us like short, punchy, energetic messages. Some of us like deep, engaging worship. Some of us like to be part of maybe the more traditional side of our worship. And so we come in with our preferences and at the end of the day, we make a decision. Now these Sunday things, for those of you who know us here at Riverside, they are incredibly important. They are important to us and we endeavor to serve to the best of our ability in these areas. But if you step back and ask yourself this question, what kind of community or what kind of church community does this world need? Don't you find it reframing some of what maybe you prioritize? Now, as you saw, I was involved in the worship ministry and I've been a musician my, pretty much my entire life and involved in worship ministry my entire life. And so I love energetic, engaging worship in a church environment. And yet, in theory, you could have note perfect worship. And still, is that going to make the top five? What kind of community does the world need? And for those of you who know me, you know how much I value the preached word of God and how we need to be orientating our lives around God's voice and God's word and having it clearly taught to us. And yet having said that, we could have a word-perfect sermon worthy of being on a TED Talk and yet, would that even make it in the top three? What kind of community does this world need? The reason why I raise this is because we as a church have been working at a pretty hectic pace going through the book of Galatians. And today is our last and final installment. It's, our, I believe, our eighth week on this. And we get to the final chapter 
And if anyone's ever read ahead or you get to the end of the book of Galatians or even some of the other books in the New Testament, it often feels like you get to like a random bunch of practical commands. And it's like, I don't really know what to do with these kinds of things. But if we zoom out and we look at what Paul has been trying to communicate to this church and therefore to us, you see, the churches in Galatia, they started well, but then they kind of departed from the true gospel into a legalistic gospel. And Paul is trying to get them to understand just how dangerous, if not eternally dangerous, that this legalistic gospel was. And he just tries to persuade them in as many different ways as possible pointing them towards the true gospel. And so if going down this road that he calls slavery, down this legalistic gospel is the problem, and the additional potential problem of going the equal and opposite direction where we go into the slavery of sin in our flesh, if those are the problems, Paul says there are two big solutions. And the first one is the freedom of Christ and the life of the Spirit. Living in the freedom that Christ has won for us and living in the life of the Spirit. And so church, we have waded into some deep, rich stuff. What is the nature of the gospel? How quickly can we be derailed from the gospel of freedom? What is the gospel of freedom? What does it mean to live by and be guided by the Spirit in our lives? But some of you are like, Stephen, that's been so amazing. The journey's been so rich. But I've still got Tuesday. I've still got kids to feed in the morning and I've got a job to go to and I've got bills to pay and I don't always understand how these big themes in the book of Galatians translate into my reality. So what I believe is happening at the end of the book of Galatians in many of Paul's other books, by the way, is they're not just a random bunch of disconnected practical, practical commands. Rather, he's saying, if you get this right, if you become a community that is living in the gospel of freedom, and if you are a community that is in fact being guided and led by the Spirit, here are some practical things you should see. Some things that you can do. Some things that you can anticipate that should be a natural outworking of the kind of church that is living in the gospel of freedom and being guided by the Holy Spirit. And as I look at these ideas that we're going to talk about this morning, I just couldn't help but dream that as Paul talks about these very practical things, I believe they lead us towards the kind of community that this world truly needs. And so what are the kinds of things that if a church gets this right, you should see? And I, before we dive into them, I do quickly want to say, what we're going to see has nothing to do with worship style or preaching style. Now, the Scriptures do have some things to say about worship and normally more about the heart of worship and, and kind of the heart of preaching and what we're trying to communicate when we're together, be it in a life group or on a Sunday morning such as this. 
But in theory, one could have the most note perfect, engaging worship and the most charismatic communicator on the stage and all of you are going, amen, amen, amen on a Sunday and still be completely captive when it comes to these other evidences. And so when we think about a church that is free, a church that is living by and being guided by the Spirit, what are the kinds of things we should see? And I want to talk about five that come out of Galatians chapter 6. And the first one is this, you should see in a free, spirit-led community, you should see a restorative community. Let's read Galatians 6 verses 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves as you also may be tempted. You see, the big idea here is not whether or not there's going to be sin in this community. If you haven't figured it out, you are a sinner sitting in front of and sitting next to other sinners. And so the question is not whether or not there'll be sin in the community. We kind of need to get used to that. In addition, I also understand that this idea of how sinful human beings operate sometimes in a church community has often led to some incredibly deep pain by many of us sitting here this morning. But having said that, Paul is saying, listen, it is going to be there. The big question is not where the sin is present or not, but how does a free community in the freedom of Christ and being led and guided by the Spirit, how do they deal with the sin? And that is the big question over here. So he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, some of your translations may say, you who are spiritual, you who live by the Spirit, should restore that person gently. Now listen, uh, if you've been around church circles for any period of time, you've probably heard the following phrase. You know what, I, I, th I think I need to call that person out. And what we mean by that, and, and maybe we mean subtly different things, but often what we mean by that is, I see a sin in someone else's life, and so it is up to me to say something, and so I'm going to call them out. And I want to suggest to you, while some of you, when you use that phrase, you may mean what Paul is getting at here. I believe the whole tone of that phrase is wrong. And let me illustrate why. See, Paul doesn't say just simply confront someone and, and call them out. He says, if someone is a caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, so there's a qualification, you who are spiritual should call them out. No. Restore them gently. Why does Paul give a qualification to who this person is going to be? See, just like a surgeon is the only one qualified to cut me open and get into my pain in my body, so only someone who is spiritual or led by the spirits is qualified to go into my emotional failures, my emotional shortcomings and, and my sin. So Stephen, what does it mean, someone who is spiritual? For, for those of you who were last week, hopefully you're starting to see where Paul's getting at because he defines someone who is spiritual according to the previous chapter. 
Someone who is living by the Spirit, who is walking by the Spirit, who is guided by the Spirit, who is keeping in step with the Spirit. Someone who is demonstrating the character and the fruits of the Spirit in their lives. And so they have the necessary patience, the necessary wisdom and humility and love and gentleness in order to dive into somebody else's shame and sin. Not for the purposes of calling them out, but for the purposes of restoration. Now, when we try and understand as a community, when there is sin in the community, how do we deal with that? There's a bit of a spectrum here. And there are going to be times, and I've preached on this verse before, where the Scriptures say, love overlooks a multitude of sins. Meaning there is going to be a threshold in a freedom community, a community led by the Spirit that doesn't take sin lightly, but because of our love and our wisdom and our discernment and our maturity, we choose to overlook a multitude of sins. And there is going to be those Galatians 6.1 moments where maybe we start seeing just how the sin is damaging to this person or damaging to their family or damaging to their relationship where we feel compelled by God, especially if we are a Galatians 5 person and we are going to choose to step into this space for the goal of restoring this person gently and and as things get increasingly gross and, and unrepentance, sometimes things do need to escalate, but that is the exception. You don't start there. You see, calling out is like, I see sin in you, I get you, call it out, and that's it. What does this verse say? It starts with me. Where's my heart? Where's my maturity? And if I'm going to engage this person, I'm committing to walk a road of gentle restoration. You know, the word here in Greek has this idea of a fisherman just mending their nets and just strand by strand fixing those holes so that that net is whole again. Now imagine when it came to our own failures and our sin. Imagine a community like this wasn't a space where the minute my sin comes into the light, I am shamed and I'm beaten with the stick. But rather, if my sin does come into the light, it is a place where those who are spiritual are going to lead me and guide me, walk a journey with me and restore me. And I'm convinced that's the kind of community that this world needs. Number two, you should see a supportive community. And I'm going to read two verses that illustrate this out of Galatians chapter 6. And the first one is verse 2, which says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as you love yourself. What does that look like? Carry each other's burdens, and in this way. You will fulfill the law of Christ. And then verse 5, and each one should carry their own load. I know for some people, it is still a mystery that one can become a Christian 
and still go through difficult times. And there's something in us that says, well, I thought I took the magic pill. I thought I had the right thing that I did with God. Why is it that I'm still experiencing some of what we heard earlier? Why is it life is still hard? And I think these scriptures are very candid with regards to that some are going to be walking this life of faith and be carrying boulders. Now there's a big tension here because verse 5 implies you need to carry your own load. Verse 2 implies you're carrying something that you need others to help you carry. And so to use the metaphor of Dr. Henry Cloud, he suggests that when it comes to verse 5, when we carry our own load, it's the picture of a backpack. And that is what God has entrusted into your responsibility. And as we go through life, sometimes that backpack is lighter. Sometimes that backpack is a little bit heavier. And some of us think that when my backpack gets heavier, I need to give my backpack to somebody else. And what this verse is saying is, no, there needs to be a level of maturity and responsibility that every single one of us grows into, whereby we are accountable for our own backpacks. One of my, in fact, my working definition of an adult, I need to remind myself often, is an autonomous, responsible human being. Someone who has the maturity to make decisions for themselves. Doesn't mean they're completely independent and they may be interdependent with their families and their spouses and some of the people in their lives. But they can stand on their own two feet and they can carry the responsibility well that is theirs. And the scriptures are very clear we're going to be held responsible for our backpacks. But sometimes, as we heard this morning, those backpacks turn into boulders that no one person was ever meant to bear on their own. And so that is where we need to be in the kind of community that is not carrying each other's backpacks, but are supporting each other with the boulders of life. I kind of apologize, don't apologize to non-Lord of the Rings geeks here, but uh, I've recently just reread The Lord of the Rings. And so for those of you who don't know what I'm about to say, that's fine. Just go watch the movies. Do yourself a big favor. But the central character in the book of the Lord of the Rings is Frodo. And Frodo has a backpack. He's got a charge. He's got a responsibility. And that is to take the ring, the one ring, and carry it to Mount Doom in Mordor in order to destroy the ring. And this journey, this kind of what they call the fellowship of the ring starts out, but pretty soon after that, they split up and you've got Frodo and his best friend, Samwise. And for the rest of the journey, it's only Frodo and Sam. And while everyone else is doing these great and mighty things, they're on their way to Mordor and Frodo is carrying this ring. The problem is the closer he gets to Mordor, the more the backpack becomes a boulder. And if you know the story, if you watch the movies, it messes with his mind. He can't sleep. He's no longer aware. Is this a dream or a vision or is this the waking world? His body just withers away into absolute nothing. 
And Sam, his friend, is watching this saying, Frodo, let me help you. Just give me the ring from time to time so that I can help you carry this burden. And Frodo says, for a whole lot of different reasons, Sam, I'd love you too, but you can't. And yet Sam was. He did Galatians 6 verses 2. There were times where he was physically carrying Frodo. There were times where he needed to find some water, but he made sure that Frodo just got some peaceful sleep for a few hours. There was times that Sam took his portion of water or his portion of food and gave it to Frodo. He was never able to take the burden away, but he was able to, Galatians 6 verses 2, the burden. And so the question is not, are you, as followers of Jesus Christ, going to experience burdensome times? Rather, the question is, are you positioning yourself so that you are to others and others are to you the kind of community that can help you and support you in your burdens, just like we saw earlier? And isn't that the kind of community that this world needs? The third thing that we see in these verses is that if you look at a community that lives in the gospel of freedom and is led by the Spirit, you should see a humble community. Let's see how we see this in verse 3. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to somebody else. I believe in these verses we see two things to help us live out humility in our communities. And the first one is accurate self-knowledge and self-awareness. And the second one is freedom from the comparison trap. Now we've preached often here on humility here at Riverside. And you would know that famous quote where C.S. Lewis says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So Stephen, you're saying humility is not about self, it's about others. Why do you have two words on the screen with the word self in them? Well, listen how Paul says it. Listen, if someone thinks they are something when they're not, they are deceived. If we are to truly love our community and serve them, we need to have an accurate understanding of my strengths. How can I best serve you for my strengths? And from my weaknesses, because it's very dangerous if you don't know those things. A number of years ago, I won't tell you how many years ago, I tried to operate out of what used to be one of my strengths. We had a friend's house. They had one of these trampolines raised from the floor next to the swimming pool. And so I did something that I had done literally hundreds of times before that. And I did a summy from the trampoline into the pool. Problem is, that time... When I came out the pool, I was doing this. Oh, that night I couldn't sleep. I had to go to months of physio. And it was just a wake-up call. Listen, Stephen, that is no longer a strength. That is now a weakness. <laughs> now imagine I have so many blind spots and I want to love and serve you. But I, I don't know my weaknesses. I don't know when to say yes and when to say no. I'm going to do such damage to the community. 
the goal is not simply self-introspection, but rather the more I know myself and I'm less deceived, aka blind spots, the more I can love you, the more I can grow, the more I can serve you. But secondly, what's going to keep us humble is being free from the comparison trap. Now, here's another word that can trip us up sometimes. The Bible is crystal clear that probably at the root of most, if not all, sin is pride. Why? Because pride is about self. And the Scriptures say when we go down the path of pride, we are literally going down the path of the devil. And so we kind of see pride as a bad word, which it is. And yet this verse raises something whereby there is a healthy way to have what I call a content pride. Where you look at a meal you've made, a DIY project you've done at home, just you look at your kids and some of their achievements or your own achievements, and you're able to say, without any selfishness and without any sin, I'm proud of that. And there is a healthy way to have content pride. That is so different from, oh wow, look what I've done. Now I've caught up with the Joneses. Now I'm climbing the ladder. Now my home is better than your home. My car is faster than your car. My kids are better than your kids. Or I feel completely crushed because it doesn't matter how well I do within my own capacity. I look at everybody else And I hate myself because I'll never be them. But when we are set free and when we're able just to be content with stewarding what God has given us and have content pride and be the kind of community that is transparent. Guys, I've got weaknesses. I've got strengths and I can serve you out of my strengths. And some of those weaknesses, God has got my number and He's knocking on my door and and I'm just okay to acknowledge that I'm a work in progress. And when it comes to just competition and unhealthy comparison, no, that's none of that in our community. And I can celebrate your wins and I can just have some pride in some of my wins. That's suddenly the kind of community that I believe this world needs. Fourthly, I believe you should see a generous community. And once again, I'm going to point towards two verses that come out here. Verse 6 says this, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. And then verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of holiness, of believers, sorry. So let me just be honest and say, this is a weird one for me to talk about. Why? Because I'm a teacher of the Word. And quite literally, I'm employed by this church to do that. And so I receive compensation for doing this. And so that makes it weird, firstly, for me, maybe not for you. Secondly, it is weird for many of us because so many of us have heard story after story after story about financial mismanagement in churches, and we're done with it. But like with all things, I think what Paul is saying is, okay, maybe there are some abuses, and we need to recognize there are some abuses. 
But what is a right use? When there is a community of faith that is living in the freedom of Christ and is being led and guided by the Spirit, what should we see? And one of them Paul sees is that there are gonna be those, and I think about our staff, our amazing staff. I think about someone like Cizre who we're trying to walk with and guide towards full-time ministry. I think about some of you who are sitting here this morning who have felt the unmistakable call of God to serve and leave well-paying jobs in order to serve God's purposes and His kingdom, to love the poor, to love the unlovely, to love those who the world struggles to love, to serve orphans, to bring the gospel to those who don't have the gospel. You're here. And God calls those people. And what He's saying is, And this has been true both in the Old and the New Testaments. In this kind of community, those kinds of people should be empowered to do that and financially resourced in order to do that. But then we get to verse 10, because it's not simply about an EFT, which takes about five seconds at the end of the month. We should be willing to roll up our sleeves and be generous with our energy be generous with our time, be generous with our efforts and our resources and our compassion, sacrificially at times. Paul talks about enrich here, being generous and serving and loving those within our community because there are so many needs within our community and doing good and being generous and sacrificing for those outside of our community. Isn't that what this world needs? A strong community that is known for their generosity to themselves and also to those outside in the world around them. And then finally, number five, what we see in these verses is a motivated, resilient community. We see this in verse eight and nine, where Paul says this, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now there's a kind of a strange phrase here where Paul talks about sowing into the Spirit. And it's like, Stephen, what, what does that mean? It sounds like this very like new agey, nebulous thing. What does it mean to sow into the Spirit? And I've become convinced that as Paul moves from chapter five, being led by, living by the Spirit into these practical outworkings of this kind of church, I've become convinced he's talking about these things. That by being a, a restoring community, By being a humble community and a generous community, we are sowing into the Spirit. And Paul says what motivates us is that from that we will reap eternal life. Now I know that confuses some of you. Stephen, eternal life? You mean if I do these things, I'm going to get saved? Because many of us kind of use eternal life and being saved synonymously. And while those ideas are connected, when the Scriptures speak about eternal life, they are speaking about the nature of God's life. 
that when we trust the life of Jesus and His death and resurrection, we step into a place where we receive God's life. And I can walk in eternal life, both in this world and for all of eternity. But eternal life is so much more than simply now you're saved. But rather, I believe the better comparison is when Jesus prays, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, when we sow into the Spirit, when we're this kind of community, we are going to be sowing into things of eternal nature, literally things that matter for eternity. And that is what motivates us. And this is why Paul follows us up with 2022. How many of you started this year with a full tank? And I'm not referring to diesel and, you know. Man, I'm tired. I know you're tired. And we get weary of doing good. And this is why Paul says, when we recognize that we are sowing into the Spirit, from that we reap eternal things. And when we know to look at the next verse, that at the right time, maybe I don't see it today. Maybe I don't see the fruit of my labor tomorrow or even next year. But at the right time, there is going to be a harvest. And because I know there's going to be a harvest, I am motivated and I am resilient. And we as a church are motivated and resilient to get through the tough times. And so I want to end off where I started, acknowledging that for thousands of different reasons, churches had bad press lately. Some of it's undeserved. Some of it well-deserved. By no means will this church or, or Riverside ever be the perfect church. But can we agree? If we kind of smell what Paul's cooking here, can we agree if we, if we became the kind of community where I could bring my sin into the light because I knew that I'd be journeyed with gently, not because we don't take sin seriously, because we do take sin seriously, but we restore. We're always heading towards restoration and we don't hold it against people. And can we agree that if we were the kind of community that became increasingly mature and increasingly responsible, bearing my own backpacks, and if we were increasingly positioned to help others when their backpacks become boulders, and they're positioned to help me when I'm carrying a boulder, where we modeled humility, we're set free from the comparison trap here. Where we're modeling generosity. Where we're demonstrating a resilient faith and we're motivated by eternal things. Can we agree that the world needs that kind of a church? Now when I say the church, sometimes it's so tempting to feel like you're sitting on the outside, you hear me talk about the church and it's like I'm talking about a, another thing. There is no such thing as the church apart from you, apart from us. And so when I believe that we're articulating a vision here of the kinds of things we should see in a church that is set free from the gospel of freedom 
and that he's being led by and he's living by the Spirit. I'm inviting every single one of us to see this vision and to become active participants in that vision. And the times are gonna come where you need to receive from this kind of community. And the times are gonna be a plenty where you are contributing to making this kind of community a reality. But listen, this world doesn't need one more distraction on a Sunday morning. But it does need this. And so let's pray for God's grace upon us as a church and upon every single one of us. Father, we thank you that, man, as we look at this picture, it breaks all of our boundaries. It breaks all of our preferences. There's nothing wrong with some of those things. But you're redirecting us to some core realities that ought to be our focus, that ought to be our engine room, that ought to be our heartbeat. And God, are we always this church? No, we're not. Do we get distracted by less important things all the time? But here we receive from your word, God, and we hear your vision and your invitation. And so collectively we stand and agree that that is what we want. That is what you want. When you are among us and when you are at work among us, this is what we should be seeing. So God, give us motivation and resilience for that. God, we're tired. This sounds like something that's best left for 2023. So God, we ask you for your grace, your supply, the fruit of your spirit, your leading, the work that you do in us, setting us free, enlivening us to your life. So God, would you just do more of that? And as we come together as this fountainhead of believers, would we start seeing more of this eternal life in us and through us? We need this. Our kids need this. Our neighbors need this. Our colleagues need this. We're so joyful to be part of this. So God, we need your grace. Lots of it. In Jesus' name, amen.